and today I bring you the last in our series, in their own words, looking at Czech history through the archives. We get a flavour of the Cold War. The archives throw up some curious stories. A man in love with a drill, a Czechoslovak cosmonaut celebrated in song, a campaign against noisy rockers with long hair, and some Cold War dramas, tales of defectors and spies. And we end with the strange, sad story of the Red Elvis. But first, to the glowing dawn of the new regime in 1948. One of the first changes at Radio Prague after the communists came to power was that the station's familiar call sign, taken from Dvořák's New World Symphony, was replaced by a stirring socialist anthem. The words are simple. Left foot forwards, left foot forwards, and never a backward step. Promoting the revolution became central to Radio Prague's message, sometimes in bizarre ways. Here is a factory worker talking about his first love. I wasn't yet 15 when she was brought to the factory, and I first caught sight of her. It was love at first sight. I know that many of the others were envious because we became inseparable friends. For that whole year we remained faithful. We had some wonderful times together. She was always the same because no one else knew how to talk to her as I did. I knew that one day we would have to part, but I stayed faithful to the end. I was just thinking about this when the foreman came round and shook me out of my daydream with the words, So, we're taking you away from that drill. Yes, my first and greatest love was a drill. An anonymous Czech worker there talking in the early 1950s. For the new atheist regime, Christmas posed something of a problem, because it didn't want to be seen just to be spoiling the fun. In 1952, the Prime Minister and later President, Antonín Zapotocki, offered a rather unusual Christmas greeting to radio listeners, capturing perfectly the spirit of the time. First, he tells listeners that the infant Jesus, who in Czech tradition brings the Christmas presents, has now grown up into his Russian secular equivalent, Grandfather Frost. In poetic terms, he then goes on to describe how Grandfather Frost's path is lit not just by one star, as in Bethlehem, but by a whole plethora of red stars shining above our mines, steelworks, factories and building sites. When Joseph Stalin died on March 5, 1953, it was as if time had stopped. In Czechoslovakia, his personality cult had been almost as overwhelming as in the Soviet Union itself. Stalin had a close ally and kindred spirit in the Czechoslovak president, Clement Gottwald, and Gottwald ignored warnings from his doctors in order to attend his friend and protector's funeral. Before leading the Czechoslovak delegation to Moscow, 
he had a few words for his country's citizens. I believe that when we stand in front of Lenin's mausoleum, now Lenin and Stalin's mausoleum in Moscow, we shall be able to make a confident promise to these two greatest geniuses of humanity in the name of all the people of Czechoslovakia, that we shall follow to the end the path which they have shown us. And under the banner of Stalin and Lenin, we shall strive onwards towards the goal of socialism. President Gottwald himself was to survive the man to whom he owed his career by just nine days, dying of a burst artery on March the 14th, 1953. This had probably been brought on by the stress of the trip to Moscow. Once again, it was a time of pomp and ceremony, with Czechoslovak radio's Antonin Zieb providing a commentary to the huge state funeral in melodramatic style. Rakev, s tělem Klementa Gotvalda, míjí budovu ústředního výboru the coffin with the body of Clement Gottwald is being carried past the building of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia, shrouded in the black of mourning. The party says farewell to its dearest comrade. It was Clement Gottwald who built and consolidated a party of a new Leninist-Stalinist type. Clement Gottwald has not died because the party lives on. The great fraternal Soviet Union is with us, our powerful shield and support. In the first years after Gottwald's death, there was little improvement in Czechoslovakia's icy relations with the West. There was a steady flow of people fleeing westwards across the Iron Curtain, but every now and then the flight would be in the other direction, and someone from the West would seek asylum in the communist bloc. This was a propaganda opportunity not to be missed. One such occasion was in November 1954, when the Czechoslovak news agency called a somewhat unusual press conference in Prague. After welcoming comrade journalists to the event, the reporter went on to introduce an American couple, Herbert and Jacqueline Ward, describing them as artists who had sought and been given asylum in Czechoslovakia. Then Herbert Ward himself spoke. We are the Americans. I am Herbert Ward, bass violinist, and my wife, Jacqueline, who is a dancer. Until 1950, we have lived mainly in New York, then we moved to Denmark, and for the last two years we lived in Vienna. Our purpose in coming to Europe was to complete our education in all fields of music and dance. At this point on the recording in our archives, Herbert Ward's voice fades and is voiced over in Czech as he continues his story. He claims that he and his wife had become suspicious to the US authorities after taking part in a music festival in East Berlin. Then, he says, the FBI began to bully them, trying to force them back to the United States and confiscating their passports. This was the time of the McCarthyite witch hunts, and although his faith in communist Czechoslovakia may be naive, Herbert Ward's story is not necessarily an exaggeration. 
We feel sure that this press conference will help us not only to make matters clear in our case, but to call attention to the activities of those who restrict the rights of their fellow citizens and who are making dangerous provocations that might lead to a new war. Herbert Ward's wife, Jacqueline, a dancer who had studied under Isadora Duncan, also answered questions from journalists, painting a rosy picture of her prospects in her new socialist home. Instead of having to look for jobs, the jobs are so plentiful and so many opportunities that we can freely choose the best way in which we want to develop and which we want to present our own work. And for us, that's very important, that there is so much culture here. The couple was based in Prague's Hotel Krivany, where not long afterwards they had a visit from the jazz writer Lubomir Dorushka and his friend and fellow jazz lover, the novelist Josef Skoretsky. This led to a jazz review called Really the Blues, featuring Herbert and Jacqueline with the Czech band Pražský Dixieland. The couple stayed for several years and became familiar figures on the Prague classical and jazz music scene. The rock musician František Ringo Czech remembers being discovered as a 15-year-old boy by Herbert Ward, and he recalls that in the early 60s Jacqueline achieved celebrity performing Native American dance to Czech audiences. According to Lubomir Dorushka, the American couple eventually made their way back to the U.S., spending their last years in Hawaii. It's said that one jazz musician there still plays on a Czechoslovak double bass, left to him by Herbert Ward. On April the 12th, 1961, the 27-year-old Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space, and Czechoslovak radio reported on the moment. For the first time, a man is speaking from the heavens. Gagarin's voice may have been hardly comprehensible, but history had been made, and the Soviets had won a major battle in the space race. Following his historic flight, Gagarin embarked on a world tour, and the very first city he visited, just two weeks after his return to the Earth's atmosphere, was Prague. Two children, Sasha Malkova and Pavel Scholz, both members of the Czechoslovak Radio Children's Ensemble, were given the special honour of presenting comrade Gagarin with a recording of songs composed by Czechoslovak composers in honour of his flight. They had even prepared a few words in Russian. Gagarin himself replied by thanking the children. I wish your choir much success. I hope that you will become truly great artists and I wish happiness to all children in the Czechoslovak Republic. With the space race also came the arms race. Fourteen years ago today, at 9 a.m. Japanese Standard Time, an age came to an end. The socialist bloc portrayed itself as the peacemaker laying all blame at the feet of the United States and its allies, and Radio Prague played its part in this propaganda battle. On this anniversary, Radio Prague presents a special feature, Future Imperative. 
This is an extract from a rather quirky drama documentary from 1959, focusing on the impact of U.S. nuclear weapons testing. For half a dollar, I tell your fortune, pretty lady. Come on, give me your hand. Ah, your lifeline is long and crooked. It combines emotional dramatized scenes with quotes from scientists. Dr. Linus Pauling, American Nobel Prize winner, chemistry, foretells your future. Nuclear tests thus far in the world will kill 50,000 people in the United States alone. In the next 30 years, as a result of nuclear testing, 100,000 people will die of leukemia. And the program, called Future Imperative, ends with a dramatic warning. And so Radio Prague, together with most of mankind, is observing today, Thursday, August 6th, as marking the year 14 AH, after Hiroshima. Today, right now, it still isn't too late to stop nuclear tests. But tomorrow? By the mid-1960s, there were plenty of signs of reform in Czechoslovakia, and the process accelerated with the Prague Spring of 1968. We'll be looking at the Prague Spring and the Soviet invasion that followed in a later programme, but for now we'll jump forward to the 1970s, to the years following the invasion, that came to be known euphemistically as the period of normalisation. If there was one sound guaranteed to infuriate Czechoslovakia's communist leaders during the 1970s and 80s, it was this. The call sign of the US-funded Radio Free Europe, broadcasting from Munich to the countries of the Eastern Bloc. After the Soviet invasion of 1968, Many Czech and Slovak emigres of a wide variety of political hues ended up working for the station's Czechoslovak section. Back home, they found a receptive audience, and Czechoslovakia's communist leaders became little short of obsessed with discrediting Radio Free Europe's broadcasts. Here is a short extract from a Czechoslovak radio programme from 1976, which opens by playing that despised call sign. Tato znělka patří ilegální rozhlasové stanici, která je nástrojem podvratné a špionážní činnosti. This is the signature of an illegal radio station, which is a tool of the subversive and espionage activity of the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of North America, infamously known by the abbreviation CIA. služby Spojených států severoamerických, nechvalně známé pod zkratkou CIA. The report then turned its venom to dissidents within Czechoslovakia. Slovo je latinského původu. Znamená odpadlík nebo odštěpenec. The word dissident is of Latin origin. It means turncoat or separatist. But for Radio Free Europe it has a different meaning. It means ally. Pro svobodnou Evropu má však význam jiný. Spojenec. Czechoslovakia's campaign against the station 
reached its peak in 1976 with an event that is pure Cold War. On January the 29th, the Czechoslovak Union of Journalists in Prague hosted a high-profile press conference, attended by no less than 137 journalists from 16 different countries. The man introduced as the hero of the day was the Czechoslovak counterintelligence agent, Captain Pavel Minarzik. He had been working for several years as a Radio Free Europe announcer in Munich, but had secretly been sending regular reports back to Prague. Now he was back home, and for nearly two hours he drew a picture of Radio Free Europe as a hotbed of American espionage. CIA, prostřednictvím svých lidí a příslušné vnější kamufláže... The CIA, through its agents and camouflaged behind a different facade, has absolute control over Radio Free Europe and determines all programming, in Munich and in its branches in Paris, Rome, London, Vienna and Brussels. He went on to name numerous former colleagues as CIA agents, although in the great majority of cases the evidence he offered was extremely thin. But some damage was done in the very fact that a Czechoslovak agent had managed to remain undetected for so long within Radio Free Europe. Captain Minarcik became a hero of the regime, and one normalisation pop star, Josef Laufer, even wrote a song in his honour. Thank you, thank you, brave lad, for your courage, wisdom and strength. You are our captain. They are superfluous. You have added azure to the wings of peace. Songs like the one we've just heard about Minarchik typified the taste of the regime. But beneath this was a much more interesting musical culture, rejecting and parodying the insipid kitsch of the official musical scene. Best known among these underground bands were the plastic people of the universe. Their music was inspired by Frank Zappa and the Velvet Underground, their lyrics anarchic, their behaviour unconventional and their hair long. In 1976, four members of the band were sentenced to prison terms for what was described as organised disturbance of the peace. And in December of that same year, Czechoslovak Radio broadcast a documentary that painted the band in the darkest possible colours and included extracts from their music recorded secretly at their concerts. Takhle tedy vypadalo pravé umění v podání členů skupiny Plastic People. Řev, kurážky a pornografie. That's what true art, as interpreted by the Plastic People, sounds like. Noise, offensive language and pornography. They are nothing but common old garden hooligans and swindlers abusing the popularity of rock music among young people. Kteří zneužili oblibě rockové hudby mezi mládeží. And the programme went on to quote from one of their songs, taking the anarchic lyrics by the poet Egon Bondy 
completely at face value. What clearer proof did they need of the band's degeneracy? Smash the pictures, burn the books, drive bulldozers through the theatres. Nothing of value should remain. Eliminate culture. The regime's treatment of the plastic people was absurdly heavy-handed and in many ways counterproductive as it acted as a catalyst for the Human Rights Manifesto, Charter 77. Forced onto the defensive, the authorities responded with their own anti-charter, which they bullied artists and musicians into signing. Czechoslovak Radio broadcast the launch of the anti-charter live from Prague's National Theatre on January 28, 1977. The event included a speech by the communist actress Jerzyna Švodcová. Here's a short extract. True art, true culture should help individual countries and humanity to move forwards. It should help to build understanding between peoples in the spirit of peace and humanism. That is why we hold in contempt all those, and even in our country a little group of such recreants and traitors has emerged, who with insatiable pride, vain arrogance, selfishness or for love of money try to cut people off from their lives and with inevitable logic become a tool of the anti-humanist forces of imperialism. Meanwhile, interesting things were going on in the heavens. On March 2nd, 1978, for the first time, a person was launched into space who was neither a Soviet nor an American citizen. His name was Vladimir Remek, and he came from Czechoslovakia. Millions of Czechs and Slovaks had the chance to follow the event live, both on radio and television, and it was even celebrated in song. He embarked on the journey of our dreams beyond the ends of the world, in a ship with a star as red as the morning sky. The ship with the red star was Soyuz 28, the third mission to dock with the Soviet space station, Salyut 6. The flight marked the beginning of the Intercosmos program, which aimed to give the Soviet Union's Eastern Bloc allies access to space. The launch took place at 15.28 Universal Time from a site in Kazakhstan. Czechoslovak radio's Ilya Yencha described the scene as the sky lit up and the rocket rose into the heavens. As the faces of the two cosmonauts on board, Vladimir Remek and his Russian commander Alexei Gubarev, appeared on the monitor in front of him, he waxed lyrical. They look like two brothers or even twins in their spacesuits and helmets, 
representing two brother socialist countries, cosmic brothers, the symbolism mingles with reality. The flight coincided with the 30th anniversary of the communist takeover in Czechoslovakia, a fact that Remek alluded to as he spoke from space. It was back then, in those victorious days of February 1948, that our flight into the cosmos really began. And now here I am in space with my friends. And Remek ended by greeting his compatriots back in Czechoslovakia with the final words, see you back on Earth. We stay in the year 1978, but this time heading west for Cuba with an American rocker who became a household name in the Eastern Bloc. He was called Dean Reed. After a couple of minor hits at home at the end of the 1950s, the Denver-born singer spent many years in Latin America. There he embraced the revolutionary left and became hugely popular. In 1973, he moved to the German Democratic Republic. Thoroughly approved of by the communist regimes of the time, he enjoyed a big following in Czechoslovakia. In 1978, Reed was one of the stars of the World Youth Festival in Havana, which was attended by some 16,000 left-wing students from around the world, including a large contingent from Czechoslovakia. In an interview for Czechoslovak Radio, Reed poured praise on his Cuban hosts. The Cuban people are a special people, as I think you have noticed. They are so open, they are so loving, so giving. Not only the sun here is warm, the people are warm and loving, and I think that is maybe one of the greatest differences, that there's such a feeling of openness here. You are very popular with young people in Czechoslovakia, and you have been several times to our country. What would you like to tell young Czechoslovakian people from Havana? I send you a little bit of sun, and I, of course, send you all of my friendship. I don't believe so much in official speeches sometimes. I'm, I, I'm not a diplomat. I have other feelings. I think maybe the greatest worth of this type of festival sometimes is the direct contact with the Czechoslovak youth when they come and meet a Cuban and they come and meet a, somebody from Angola and they come and meet a Vietnamese. I think it's very, very important for the continued work against imperialism and for peace. That was the Red Elvis, Dean Reed, in 1978. Eight years later, at the age of just 47, he drowned in a lake near East Berlin. Officially, it was an accident, but after the fall of communism, a suicide note was found in the Stasi secret police files. To this day, Dean Reed's extraordinary life and unexplained death continue to arouse speculation and controversy. It's an 